When did I get here? When did I leave the dream behind? Where is the fire? This rabble's turned to ice. Goodbye to repeats. So long as summer battle scars, perhaps this dreamer was nothing but a fraud. Welcome to episode 7 of My Comic Shop History. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Follow me on Twitter, at Desi Westside. This is our Comic Shop Business School episode. If you've ever uh, wondered what it was like to run your own comic book shop, if you ever thought it would be cool to buy or own your own comic book store, we are going to disabuse you of that notion tonight. Uh, no, not really. But what we will do, hopefully, uh, is offer some insight uh, into how to, how to run your own store, run your own small business uh, successfully. So I'm joined by a stellar panel of three guests, uh, sitting with me here in Alternate Realities. I'm going to introduce each of them. Uh, so across from me, we have Mike San Gregorio, an accountant. Mike, welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, to my left, we have uh, Phil Hussein, uh, who, Phil, I'm not sure exactly what it is you do. You're like an oil baron of some sort. You know, that's the nickname I've been given. I work for a large commodities trading company. I'm on the risk side. I do uh, valuations and things of that nature. So I have to decide what something's worth and make sure that it makes sense. And to my right... We have Mr. Paul Barrero, who is the proprietor of uh, The Spider's Web, a comic book shop in Yonkers. You recently celebrated your two-year anniversary, right, Paul? That is correct. Two years um, on free comic book day. And thank you for inviting me. <laughs> We're going to have fun here. We are. No, thank you very much. I've actually, Paul, I've been talking about you in almost every episode. I've really? been referencing you and your store just to sort of have a, uh, you know, a counterpoint to some of the things that we're talking about with respect to alternate realities. Um, I had the pleasure of visiting your store just a couple of days ago, and first, just to reiterate what I said when I saw you, uh, I really do apologize for not making it to your store sooner. I really, there's no excuse. There's no, no excuse. There's no need to apologize. I know you're a busy person. Uh, it's all right. But I have to say, and I want to get your, Phil and Mike, I want to get your take on his store in a second, but I just want to say, I was so happy to visit your store. I had such a great time for two reasons. One, uh, just as your friend, uh, it was. I'm really happy for you. You seem to really be enjoying yourself. You're doing a great job. Uh, so, and I know how passionate you are about comics. I know this is something you've wanted to do. Uh, so it was really cool to see that. Uh, and then, just as a comic book fan, you know, I think any fan listening to this has had that moment. You know, you go to a new area and you check out the comic book store there. And uh, you know, just going in was a lot of fun. To see a store, and this is something we'll really get into in this episode. But to see a store that was organized well-lit, well-stocked. I bought five graphic novels from you. Oh, wow. Yes, you did. Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, because you had, I bought all three volumes of Superior Spider-Man, because oh, awesome. you had them all, which, you know, for the past few years, you know, pretty much the only store I've been in has been Alternate Realities, and, and you know, the experience is a little different. So, um, now, uh, Phil and Mike, have you each been to Spider's Web? I have not, but the funny story is about the Superior Spider-Man. I had to go to upstate Connecticut in order to pick up those trades. You know what? I did not realize. So I will be coming to your store, rest assured. Yeah, awesome. you could have gone right awesome. to Yonkers. I did not realize that. <laughs> and Mike, have you been to Spider's Web? I, I have. I enjoyed the experience a great deal. I've been telling people about it whenever they oh, thank you. attempt to mourn the loss of alternate realities. I say, no, no, we're all on to bigger and better things and try to point them in your direction. Mm -hmm. uh, to echo Anthony's point, I've, I visited many comic shops in many different places, and uh, there's very few that had the welcoming and appeal of the Spider's Web. And granted, I'm a local and from Yonkers, but mm -hmm. going in there and it's like, oh, okay, this is what I was thinking when I think comic book store. So okay. I love oh, it. Thank you for all your kind words. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. You want to, um, obviously, we've been plugging Spider's Web, but you want to tell right. people where it is and where people can find you online? Sure. 
Um, well, first of all, the address is the Spider's Web, 887A Yonkers Avenue. We are directly across from the back parking lot of the casino. Um, we are on Twitter, at Paul Spiders, and we're also on Facebook, TSWcomics.com. The other thing I like about your store, just, again, to compare it to here and other places I've been, as soon as I walk through the door, I see people uh, playing video games, which I like because it's mm. it's got that community feel that you see here that I think is so vital to building something. Most definitely. I could have hung out there all day with you. <laughs> so Most just definitely. Played video games, watched things. It, it felt really immersive, and it didn't feel limited in any one way. Great. I'm glad your experience was good. Um, we do play a lot of video games between all of us, especially the fighting games. Um, we play board games, we play RPG games, we play card games. You name it, we do it. We hmm. we like to have fun there. You know, that's what we like to do. And and especially when the community is around us, and they don't have any place to go, they come to us and they have fun there. All right, you sold me. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming Saturday. That's and, great. And you got another customer. I'm coming in Saturday. You even do your own podcast. We we get into pretty much the rough things of the comic books. Um, we do tell it like it is. We do. That's great. Well, on this podcast, we don't talk about comic books at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, really, I've, I've been very excited to do this episode. We had a terrific email chain amongst awesome. the four of yes. us leading up to yes, this. definitely. Uh, and if that's any indication of what this conversation will be like, I think we'll, we'll really have a, this will be a great episode. Every prior episode, we've been, t- we've been talking about alternate realities and the business practices of the store and its owner, Steve Odo. What I thought we could do for this episode is, again, really get into the specifics of running a comic book store and sort of use Spider's Web as a case study, as our way into this. And uh, as we talk about your store, we can compare and contrast it with with alternate realities. Okay. Uh, And Phil over here, you know, prepare to get grilled because this guy came prepared. He's got, (laughs) you know, the audience can't see this, but he's got folders. He's got file folders and notes and pictures. You know what? It's just interesting to meet someone with another store to kind of see how they use things like automation and things of that nature to kind of better streamline their business, which, you know, with this business, I'm not going to, you know, these things are a little antiquated at times. So I'm actually very curious and excited to actually hear Paul's thoughts on this. This would be great. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I when I sent my email to you guys, I, you know, one of the things I said was, you know, I don't want this to just be a gripe session about alternate realities. Not at all. We've sort of done that before. <laughs> um, and again, there's a lot that Steve has done well. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But I really, again, for anyone who, who wants to know what goes into running a store, anyone who wants to do it themselves, because, Mike, I know you and I, and Phil too, we've yeah. all talked about one day buying alternate realities. Yes, we have. Of course. So that idea of, of owning your own store, and Paul did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but remember, I wanted to own alternate realities. As well. Perfect segue. So that's where I want to start. Uh, so okay. when did you first have the idea of you wanted to own your own comic book store? I got to go back 30 years. I've been collecting for over 30 years. I want to say I've done the city job. I've done the state job. I've done the family business. Um, you know, all that. I wanted to do something that was for me where I can be happy 120% and something, you know, I could put my heart and soul and passion in. And that's what I did. I remember there was a time I was talking with Steve Odo, and I was thinking of buying alternate realities. You had been a customer here for some time. I had been a customer here for over 20 years. Um, sometimes you call me the number one customer. Sometimes you call me the number two customer. Um, well, what I remember is uh, <laughs> we always knew we were getting paid when you came in. Uh, this is true. This is true. We knew the store would do enough business that day uh, that we could get paid. That's very true. Um, so I talked to Steve Odo. You know, he told me the ins and outs of what's going to happen, you know, and he gave me very good advice. 
it basically it took me a year and a half to come up with some type of plan to open a spider's web. I'm a person who likes to travel. So when I go to a state or a different, you know, city or whatnot, I will always stop in a comic book shop. And I will look at their stock, look at their walls, look at their floors, look at their statues and, and the showcases that they had. Um, doing color combinations, you know, things like that. I, I look at the customers. What are they buying? You know, what, what piques their interest? And I would look at the, the workers or the owners of the stores. What do they do to their customers? It took me a year and a half just to do that part alone. And within that year and a half to find a location. I couldn't buy alternate realities for certain reasons. The rent was too high, especially for this area. Too, too high. Um, just, if, I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's really any secret. Uh, I can always cut this after, but mm -hmm. uh, Steve pays $7,000 a month in rent. Exactly, exactly. And if I was to start a business here because I would have done everything refreshed, um, restocking, doing this, you know, um, paint, whatever I had to do, you know, it would come out of my pocket and it would be just so much money, so much expenses. I told Steve Odo what I was going to do, you know, um, but I'd still be a loyal customer until I found something. And a year and a half later, it, it, I found something in Yonkers. At first, it was fearful. I, I was scared, you know, just jumping into something, even though I knew the industry and everything. But I had to quickly learn the, uh, the business part of it. Pretty much what I told myself is, you know, forget about the fear. Just do it. It's your passion and it's your dream. Just go for it. So I opened up my business on Free Comic Day um, 2013. After you found your location, how long was it to actually set up the store and open? Well, I opened in May of 2013. I had to do everything for March. I moved in in March, signed a lease in March, did my floors, painted, put up the paneling, you know, waited for my stock to come in. Um, towards the middle of April, everything was really set up except for the back issues. Um, basically, I was ready to go on the, f you know, free comic book day. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty quick. Yeah, that's pretty quick. It's, it's not, you know, not that long. It doesn't take that long. You talked about the rent because that's when all of us that we dream about owning a store. And then when reality hits us, when we're like accountants or businessmen, right. we go, you know what? This is going to be a little tough with that rent. It's just the cost, man. You're absolutely right. Let me, uh, let me just be honest with you. I own commercial buildings. Mm -hmm. I know rental uh, roles and everything. I know the taxes. I know what to do with the utilities, blah, blah, blah. Because a lot of people don't realize you have to pay for your Con Ed bill. You have to pay for your water bill. You have to pay for all your expenses from, you know, wherever you get your merchandise. Right. You also have to pay for, well, I got Verizon. And you know how expensive that is. Of course. So I have to pay for that. You know, and, and all these expenses coming together... I found the perfect rent, and I'm not going to lie, I'm happy there. You know, I, I've become established within two years. When, when I really knew that I was established was this year for Free Comic Book Day. When you see a line forming at your door at 10 o'clock in the morning down the block, going a little bit around the corner, that, that, I get chills <laughs> because I achieved something. I said, I'm well known. The people like the store, they like me, they like the staff. You know, we're doing something right. 
But and, and that was pretty cool that day. But it's grounded in reality too. The fact that you chased your dream, but you understood, okay, these are my variables, and I need to yes. be able to manage that risk. Whereas yes. you know, most of us dream about things, but don't realize, oh, I have to worry about rent being this much. Right. I got to worry about all this. So it's just business savvy on your part. And, and, and I'm not going to lie, I've made mistakes. To this day, I still make mistakes. You know, I I order over books sometimes. You know, it happens. My numbers. Um, with the numbers, you can never get it right. I've learned that. You know, it depends on who comes in, what month it is, what title it is, who's who wrote the book, who's appearing in the book. And it's just so many factors in there that, you know, sometimes I'll order like maybe 20 of these, which I should have ordered maybe 50 of these. So, Paul, there's probably a, a time component to this as well. You know, we, we just passed your two-year anniversary, I guess, from day one to now. How do you feel about things? And not just the business. I mean, you, this came from a place of, of great passion. So yes. do you still get as excited on a Wednesday that, hey, I'm going to get my books? Do, do you still have that? I, I still have that passion. I still pull all my books off the wall. Um, I am so way behind in reading my comics. It isn't funny. I'm probably like maybe six months behind in a lot of stuff. That's actually not that bad. I, really. Not bad at all. Um, but I, I am caught up in like Convergence, um, Secret Wars, um, a lot of DC stuff. So I'm caught up in a lot of that. Was there ever the, the idea of opening a second alternate realities location once it became clear that you wouldn't be able to buy this one? There actually was, but there would have been so many business legalities. Um becomes a franchise. Co- I mean. Franchise, copyright, taxes. Now you have to pay more taxes. Now you have to become a corporation. You can't become an LLC or whatever. You know, there's a lot of things to consider when you're doing a franchise. And plus, there's a franchise tax as well. So um, it was considered, but then I said, no, doing my own thing. Fair enough. Uh, going back to the initial thought to buy this place, again, not not trying to get you to be to criticize Steve, but right. just, again, that, that, that business sense. Um, for however long that was a consideration that you might take over this place. I mean, what were the sorts of things... Because I know you were doing some evaluation in your head from yes, the start. most definitely. So what were some of the things that you were thinking you would you would change and things that you would keep or expand on? Well, the first thing I would have done was change the whole front. Um, use Diamond's products, which is their cash register and their, their computer system. Updates everything, and I guess we'll get to that in a sec. Um, the boards on the wall, they're grayish. I wouldn't have, it's, it's a darker tone. And even though you have fluorescent lights... I would like it lighter so people can see. If people can, you know, I, I don't want to say people don't do not feel welcome at alternate realities. But, you know, to me, a brighter store is, is more attractive to me. You know, um, like I said, when, when I was trying to figure out for that year and a half um, my store, I guess my biggest example to use, and, and you're not going to like this, was Midtown Comics. I figured you were going to yeah. say Midtown Comics, the that largest awesome. comic shop in the, in the city, in Manhattan. Yeah, in, in, in the country, as a matter of fact. Um, I went to all five stores. I went to the Joker's Child oh, okay. in Jersey. Yeah, in Jersey. Right? That's another great store. Um, St. Mark's. I went to places in Florida, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maryland, um, California, you name it. I've seen all of it. All beautiful stores, but the one that really attracted me was Midtown Comics. For the simple fact, because they had light wood, that color light wood on the walls, on the floor, 
And when the lights really hit that, you can see everything. And that's, you know, that's, I find that very attractive and appealing because you can find your books easier. You can look at the floor. It's nice and clean. You know, that's, that's just me. That's what I wanted to do. Something like that. What about like the openness of the store itself where, you know, in the middle you have more space where people can walk around rather than, you know, just squirm around to try to find something. That's what I like about the store too at the Spider's Web because it's more open. In the front, if I need to put a table for an artist or a writer, I can do that. If the kids want to sit on the floor and read comics, they can do that. It's, it's nice and attractive, you know, and you don't have to squeeze by anybody. If you go towards the back where the graphic novels and trade paperbacks are, you don't have to squeeze by anybody. You just look up. Everything's in alphabetical order by publisher or whatnot, and it's all there. It is all there. I mean, like I said, that was one of the things that impressed me the most because when I was working here at Alternate Realities, <coughs> you know, one of my tasks was was keeping on top of our graphic novel library, trade paperbacks, making sure that, you know, when we sold something, we took note of it. We restocked it if we had it in the back. Yeah, we would write it down. You're you're much more advanced than that. And I really want to talk about that point of sale system. Um, but with the trades, you know, we would write down when we sell a trade, we restock it if we have it in the back. And if we didn't have it, we Steve would reorder it. Uh, over the past few, I mean, I don't want to say once I stopped working here, that stopped happening. But over the past couple of years, whether it's, <laughs> you know, a connection or not, over the past couple of years, that really hasn't happened as much to the point where I honestly don't know if, if either Steve even takes note when a trade paperback is sold. And uh, certainly things are not restocked uh, with the regularity that they once were to the point where, you know, again, I mentioned I came to your store. I bought all three volumes of Superior Spider-Man. Maybe we have volume two on our shelf here. Maybe. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really hit or miss when, you know, when someone comes in and they're looking for something. I was thinking, what kind of POS system can I have? And also, I was researching Diamond Distributors at that time. And I noticed they had a cash register with a POS system. It's Windows-based. And they also have their own software. It was kind of expensive. It was. Um, Can you say how much it was? I mean, I think I have an idea, but... $5,400. Okay. That's what I thought. And you also have to pay a yearly license, which is, I think, about $250 okay. for the software and all that. But with that, you get, it's called Comic Suite. And with all that, you get all the support that you need. You can call Diamond. I have my own staff um, at Diamond. Not my own staff, but, you know, my own support person. His name is Brad. You got a rep. Yes. And this guy has been phenomenal. Brad has been phenomenal. Um, when I first got the POS system with Comic Suite, I had to take a little training with that I had to do two to three hours a day with Brad so you figure four four days you got like 12 hours right there and that didn't cover everything that just covered the basics if for example a customer wants to buy a graphic novel I have the scanner I, I scan it with the laser the, the handgun and it pops up on my screen name and everything blah 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 date it was purchased um, price and after that transaction is done, I can look into the comic suite and see how many I have left. How many I have left. And that's pretty cool. And it'll boop, it'll pop up and say, hey, you have zero left. You must, you should reorder. So you're not using a Mead notebook to actually write everything down and then transfer into a spreadsheet? No, that is a negative. Everything is computerized and automatic. I can print out my list. For example, on Wednesdays, like I said, I do everything on Tuesday, put out all my books, I print out from the comic suite all the customers who have 
you know, their series, their comic book series or, or a statue, a graphic novel. And it's all printed out with their name, their number, because they get a membership number as well, and then all everything that they list. Before I can print out that list, I have to check my whole delivery that came in. And they give you the invoice, and we check off everything on the invoice, if it's damaged, if it's okay, if it's missing anything. You know, and we go to the comic suite, we check, okay, damaged, like five comics are damaged in shipping. And they'll give you a choice, in shipping, packaging, or at the distributor. Usually it's shipping. Say five are damaged. So Diamond gives me credit that week, and the, the following week they'll send me five copies of whatever's damaged. If something's missing, I say, no, I did not receive this. I put a zero there, upload everything, and within a week, within a week or two, I get my product. Mr. Mike over here, accountant. If we're doing a cost-benefit analysis of this, you know, you've got $5,400 initially. You've got the, 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 month, the yearly uh, licensing fee. You've got the training time, right? But then once you're set up, you no longer need to do cycle sheet counts. You don't have to count every book on the shelf every week. You don't need to write down when you sell something. So, I mean, how, uh, yeah, how, how does that analysis work? Having been here in uh, Alternate Realities many days watching the staff do the tests you just uh, uh, listed out, I have to say that just from a time point of view, it sounds like you're saving a tremendous amount of effort and resources, and, and that's got to pay off almost immediately. M most definitely. It's amazing. You know, I said at the top that we weren't going to gripe, but I'm going to break that right now because here's the thing. <laughs> We've been good, though, by the way. You've been great. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, actually, uh, uh, in episode three, I spoke with Brandon Montclair, former owner of the store, and um, he gave an example to sort of illustrate uh, some of Steve's mentality. And the example he gave was this. If Steve ordered 20 copies of the Watchmen trade paperback, uh, with his discount, he pays $10. It retails for $20, right? If he sells 19 of those, he's made his money back. He's made a profit. He's so far ahead. If he has that one copy left, Brandon said he wouldn't sell it for less than 10 which is what he paid. I would actually counter and say he would be very reluctant to sell it for less than 20 for the retail price. Um, he is very mindful of how much he paid for something. And, and again, not even just how much he paid, but what the retail is. And I really would argue, and I would stand by this, that that's what he considers the value and the worth to be. What's interesting, though, is that he doesn't seem to be taking into account time. Time is money. Space is money. In that same episode with Brandon, he talked about how he calculated how much it costs for an action figure to occupy space on the wall. So you have all of these other factors, and it, it seems like Steve is focusing on that, but I mean... You know, your life sounds a lot easier than his just by virtue of the fact you have this system. What a lot, if you want to get into the comic book shop business, it's, it's not a hobby. It can get expensive very, very, very fast. I'll just throw out a figure for you. When I first opened up the Spider's Web, I opened up in May. I knew I had to have all my orders two months before, and I had to do all that, and I had to do it consecutively, you know, the months ahead. I had to order all the graphic novels from them. I had to get bookshelves. I had to get back issue bins. I had to do my floors. I had to do the walls where everything can hang up. Um, basically, when I first started out, no lie, painting everything, get the correct lighting, $100,000. Wow. That's actually more than I thought it would, it would cost to, to start yeah. up your own store. Basically, what I wanted to do, and like I said, my model was after Midtown Comics, I wanted every comic book in the shop. Marvel, DC, Image, Diamond, um, Dynamite, IDW. 
any type of independent comic that I could get my hands on that I think the people would be interested in, that's what I did. But there's a difference here. You are marketing your books based on what you think people are going to buy, and there is no conflict of interest of what you like. See, unfortunately, that could be a problem in this store where basically the owner might have a niche um, hobby in terms of 60s and 70s books, and unfortunately your back issue, your trades, are basically that inventory. Right. So you need to understand what the market is thinking and right. build your inventory on that and, and not... That's when I was first starting out. That's that's a learning phase for me. You have something, you know, uh, off the top of my head, uh, IDW, the max. You want to try it out. So for the first issue, you would get 10 to 12. My lowest bid would be eight, eight copies of that issue. I see how that mon- month goes. And just a side note, in the comic book suite, um, it tracks all the numbers that you have. So you sold this for this week. You sold two copies this week. You sold one copy that week, you know, and then you see you, you, you purchase 12 copies at whatever tier that you're at, but yet you're left with six copies left. Okay, six of them are gone. Now, that's where you have to play with your numbers. So in the beginning, and it's still a learning process for me too, in the beginning, okay, I lost money, throw them in a dollar bin, you know. Or what I, what I also do is I donate them to the, uh, the Shriners Hospital for Children. So like two weeks ago, they picked up all my dollar books, and I donated them to the children. Paul, right, right there, it's it's the uh, <coughs> they didn't sell, so I tried to make money back. And Anthony, right. you said this before about the time component. My biggest complaint, such as it is with Steve Odo, is he doesn't seem to understand that these things depreciate, and comics are inherently a disposable medium, or at least that was the intent. These things lose value the second they're out of the box. I mean, there are people who shop here, some of which are very good friends of mine, who don't want them in any worse condition than when they're in the box. Uh, and you see people come in from all walks of life, and, and you know, the week after, the month after, once the reviews come in, once the creative teams change, these things lose value, and even more so, exponentially so, with the merchandise, with the action figures and whatnot that we're currently surrounded by. Steve doesn't seem to get that. And I think that's his biggest fallback. And not necessarily all the other things that he puts on himself. It's that he fails to see that these things lose value, and therefore it's money coming out of his pocket. Yeah, like, Phil? Like, for example, when you said that you know you bought 12 copies, 6 sold you're not going to try to double down on the next issue and try to order 12 again. You realize, okay, this inventory sells. Maybe I'll do seven. You know, I know I can sell six. I can maybe do one or two extra copies. And you know, you also realize that if you're going to buy a niche product, it might help if it's a special order. If someone's going to order, I'm going to use the example here. We have IDW Spirit Artist Edition. That book's 150 bucks. This store has two copies. I can understand the first one. I'll give it a pass. A customer ordered it. They flaked out. But the fact that we have two copies, that's tough, man, because even the Marvel Heroes cover, which is a much more high demand, is 125 You know you can sell that, but you have two of this. And unfortunately, Steve, I'm sorry, i got to say this. It was used as a coaster for a broken cash register. And my problem with that one was, I have the pictures here too, but we'll do that later. Yeah, um, Phil brought photographic evidence. Because <laughs> uh, to me, as you know, being in the business world, you try to, I mean, we deal in millions of barrels of oil you know it's a fungible product you got to move things around inventory you got to move your inventory around. you got to do things like that to me it was upsetting because he was using it for a broken cash register that you could throw out any time i'm still trying to figure out why he didn't do that and for him it was a win because he finally decided to throw the cash register out and he dug in deep into the tray and he found a quarter 
And he was very happy about that. And, and to, to him, that was a win. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but it was sitting on $300 worth of inventory, man. <laughs> if I, ever there was something that sums up <laughs> Odo, I think that might be it. Wow, I'm, I'm speechless. Wow. Phil and just held up a photo. I, I, you know, I'll post these photos uh, on the Facebook page when I release the episode. But Phil is, Phil is holding up a photo of the these glorified coasters, to these two IDW books uh, upon which the register is sitting. $150, yes. So if somebody wants to purchase that at my store, it's a special order automatically. And there are only two people in that whole store that get one. Sometimes me. And there's two other customers. Now, we, there are a few things have been touched on that I, that I want to follow, follow up on. Um, and I think this is so interesting. So uh, one of the things, you know, Paul, you talked about how you, you do, you know, you are still a fan. You're reading a lot. You're behind on a number of things. But it seems like the, like the big event books you, you keep on top of. Right. How much of that is you as a fan and how much of that is you as an owner who needs to know what, what's going on in the books? It's very passionate for me because I still have my love for comics, graphic novels, whatever to do with comics. I'm going to say 80% is it, it's for me to make sure that, you know, I enjoy myself. I still want to enjoy my comics. And I pull my stuff every Tuesday night, put them on the counter. And I also, I get a big pile. You remember how those big piles oh, I get? I remember, yeah. <laughs> I pull three quarters of my wall. I still do that. Leave them on the counter for the morning, Wednesday morning. When Wednesday morning comes, I scan each one and I pay for my comics. I still pay for my comics. Even though it's 50%, I still pay for them. Um, the other 20% that I read for is because customers ask me questions. And me, I should know about all these big titles that are coming out. What to recommend. You know, because people come into the store and say, hey, what's Secret Wars about? Do you think I'll like it? Well, and I tell them what it's about. I ask them, you want spoilers? They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what happened, this is what happened, and this is what's going to happen. And then I direct them to other comics that they like. So, you know, I have to know that for the business as well. But the, for, for me, the majority percentage is I still love my comics. I still have the passion for it. And that's why I think that I still have that store. Because my heart, soul, and passion is still in that store. No, it sounds like it for sure. Um, and, you know, Phil, following up on your point about, you know, ordering what you like versus ordering what, what the demand is from your customers, I always go back to this example because, I, again, I think this, it's a perfect one. It, it sums up a lot about the store in my mind. So a few years back, uh, the creative team of Mark Miller and Steve McNiven uh, did Civil War for Marvel. Huge event, sold incredibly well, hugely popular. Shortly after that, uh, they did an arc on Wolverine arguably one of Marvel's most popular characters, maybe second only to Spider-Man. So they did this Old Man Logan story for Wolverine. Paul, like you liked it, Paul? That, that was very good. I did enjoy that one. Uh, and I'll never forget, Steve ordered exactly the same number of copies for part one of Old Man Logan as he did the month before. And I think I still remember the number. I think it was 66. We sold out very quickly. And it seemed to me like that's the sort of thing... You have, it's one thing when you have an unknown quantity, like everyone sold out of Walking Dead and Why the Last Man. Those early issues are so hard to come by because they were unknown creative teams, unknown quantities. No one knew what they were going to be. But when you have something like that, a hot creative team, a popular character, a limited event storyline, how, how do you not order 100 copies of that? Well, that's, that's very difficult to predict, number one, even though it's a great creative team. Number two, 
what I've learned is with the Diamond System, Marvel are the only comic book company that does not take back their comics. DC does, Diamond does, and it depends on the the, the amount of copies that you you order. Well, it seems like you're somewhat in agreement with Steve then about about erring on the side of of being a little oh, more conservative. Mo- most definitely, because like I said, every week you're learning something. I'll take the independent titles that I order. I order number one, maybe 12, 15 issues. If they like it, they like it. You know, everybody grabs a number one issue. Number two comes along, I'll order the same amount, maybe 15 copies, and see how that goes. Now, if only a fourth of those uh, of that issue is sold, I know not a lot of people like it. So for the third issue, to just to try it out a little more, I'll probably get six copies. And if those direct six copies do not move on that third issue, I don't get that title anymore. That's how I test the water. I'm losing money, of course, but I could put them in a dollar bin. And if it doesn't sell in the dollar bin, then I donate them to a library, a children's hospital or whatnot. It's, it's, it's hard to lose money like that, but yet, you know, there's a codicil where you can make it a tax write-off for that as well. And it helps out the business a little bit. Do you have a uh, real-time inventory system? So, for example, if I were to come in and say I'm missing the last three issues of this series, could you tell me if you had them on hand? From a customer's perspective? Yeah. Most definitely. See, I think this is interesting because you've, you have put the money at the beginning of the process. You, you, you made an investment. I mean, that's right. That's I made a leap. That's where the term yes. comes from. But... As a result, you're, you're, you're refocusing your resources. Like we had someone come in here on Free Comic Book Day ask for very specific issues of a very popular book. They were asking about Amazing Spider-Man and Superior Spider-Man. And I would think that those are things you should have because it's been everywhere. And we had them, but we couldn't find them. And as a result, we had to send the person to Barnes & Nobles, to I mentioned your store, to Thank you. places online because the guy really wanted to read it and I'm thinking it's more important to get this guy to come back maybe a couple of months and buy something new but if he can't get his back issues why would he bother there's an abyss within the store where I mean but it's 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 funny but it's not funny so you know Steve has the new books on the wall they come out they go on the new wall they're there for about three months then they come down and they go somewhere trade paperbacks you know he orders them the new trades come in on Wednesday. He puts them on the new rack. And then uh, when that week is done, they go on the shelf. If he has an extra copy, it goes into the abyss. I mean, again, I say abyss. There are overstock systems and back issue bins in place. But it seems, and as you guys have witnessed, um, more often than not, it, you know, again, we know that it's in the store somewhere, but it can't be located. It's it's kind of troubling because everything is, is done alphabetically. So in theory, this shouldn't be so hard to find. I think part of the problem is we've there's so much overstock at this point that there are just multiple systems. I think that's that's the biggest issue is that you know there's you know m- you know multiple areas where the where the trades are. And you don't you just don't know where to look. I think the unfortunate issue could also be where you order something for yourself specifically and you find out that it's already put into the general public where you specifically ordered it for yourself. So that was a little disheartening to me and it's like you know i ordered the infinity hardcover and you know i was like hey did you guys get it it's like oh it's not in the back for you and then sean was kind enough to go oh wait it's out in the public so you can pick it up i'm like wait no not to plug the comic suite system but if you do a special order over here put your name in put the title i'll give you the date that it's releasing i'll hold it for you on the side i'm a pull list subscriber myself my name is in the system and you know me, I get the weird graphic novels, weird titles or whatever. 
And I'm the only one who gets that. And it's on my special list order or it's on my subscription list order. And hey, this goes to me. And I know that already. I don't, I don't want to say that the writing method in the Mead book is outdated. That's Steve. He's comfortable with that. But me, when I opened up, I wanted a system that was easy, trackable. You know, if a customer is missing a book, I can look it up easily. I can get it for you or whatever. Do your special order. And that's it. Two minutes tops. But in Steve's defense, isn't there a... Like, you're, you're at the beginning. Steve's at the end. So I have to wonder... I mean, are you still going to be like this in two decades? I hope you are. So yeah, do I. Yeah, great, that's a good question. That you know, is a very good question. Steve opened up in one of the largest financial booms the industry has ever had. And whether or right. not it was speculative, there must have been a financial reason to do this in the beginning. You know, maybe Steve would be like that if this were back in the day. But right. you know, he's lived through a lot of weird stuff. And I have to think that now maybe he just, maybe he just doesn't care. And he's admitted as much, you know, because, we, again, we, we've spoken about the point of sale system. And there was actually a, a point a few years back where he at least considered getting it and ultimately decided not to. You know, I don't know. You know, the price tag was probably a factor, but I think it was more just that he he doesn't want to learn a new system at this point. And, you know, again, that that's perfectly right, fine. Right. But I think that was, you know, part of it. Right. Um, well, the Comic Suite is a, it is a complicated system. If Paul says Comic Suite enough times on his podcast, <laughs> they will waive his, uh, his yearly license fee. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, Can I go back to the... the picture you have of the very expensive piece of inventory propping up the register i feel like that's a perfect alternate realities moment because you wouldn't see that in a store that was going out of its way to make money but you would see that in someone's personal collection like that is something i would do if i absolutely needed to prop something up and i had already paid for the damn thing i would see that as my own i feel like that's how Steve looks at this place. It's not a business. It's it's his collection writ large in a space that he pays for. I mean, when he talks about finding the treasures, you know what? As an owner, that's great because it's treasures that you find and it's your property. As a consumer, if you go in and find the treasure, you don't buy that Fantastic Four number one for 15 cents. Steve's going to look at it, he's going to price it, and he's going to put whatever market price he wants. So this is his playground, and we're just invited to just see things. I have been told so many times as an avid comic book fan that that thing I found in the store I cannot buy because now that I have found it, it needs to be priced compared with existing inventory and then next time I will be able to buy it. Quite a lot of money. That happens and sometimes you know, you might you might see something but physically just not be able to access it, Phil. Perfect timing, exactly. So Steve actually has a manga sale blowout. So he's got, you know, four... If you buy one to three, it's 30% off. Four to six, 40% off. That's great. You have the banner. <laughs> one slight problem. If you can look at this image, he literally has barricaded the inventory to that you want. Actually, there are books, I kid you not, I want to pick up. But I literally cannot because he's created a Berlin Wall for people to actually not be able to pick it up. It's I had the best sale in the store and you can't get to anything. <laughs> I had a, so good you can't even reach it. There was a woman who came in one Saturday asking for these particular books and I kid you not, I almost killed myself climbing around this. The poor woman bought stuff. I think she was just uh, uh, afraid I was going to get her getting the stuff or I think she just felt guilty. <laughs> I want to jump back to Old Man Logan for a second, not to harp on that, but uh, you know, one of Steve's reasons for not ordering more of that issue is he said, well, customers didn't tell me that they wanted it. So I have two questions for you, Paul. Um, do you run into that situation as well, where customers just aren't very vocal, they don't add things to their pull list? And then the, the second question, if that is the case, um, what, if anything, 
have you done or would you like to do to sort of encourage people to be more vocal about what, what they want added to their list? Every time a customer comes to buy their books, I ask them, do you want to add anything to your list? Do you want to take off anything to your list? And I'll go back to Secret Wars. If Secret Wars is not on your list and I think you're going to enjoy it, I think you want it, I'll put it in your bag. And you know who I learned that from? I learned that from Steve Odo because he used to do that to me all the time. He used to put all the types of comics that I like, you know, the supernatural, the mystical stuff, the horror stuff in my in my bag, my, fo- my file. And that I always appreciated, and I took that, that, that with me. Well, one of the things that I, I know you do, and you do it well, is... Uh, it- is again the events and you know you have signings you do uh you have people come in on saturdays to watch cartoons uh you know you do a lot of things like that you're very active on social media one thing that i think is really interesting is you've been around for two years alternate realities has been around for 23 uh your number of facebook likes dwarfs ours we don't even have a twitter so you're you're ahead there so you know again much is but much has been said in previous episodes about how important it is to make the store a destination I put up a place, I opened up a business where I wanted to have fun as well. I put up a gaming uh, section. Board games, RPG games, card games, whatever you want to play. Do these people, do they then go on to buy things in the store? Or do you find some people just come in, they play, and they go? My number one rule is if you want to sit down and play, please purchase some of the merchandise that I have. Is, well, is that a rule or a request? That is both. <laughs> it is a rule and a request. At, at least do that. You know, support the shop. I have snacks there for you. I have sodas, water, um, candy, chips, whatever you need. It's there. And that's the only thing that I ask. I don't charge you to sit down. If you're going to play Pokemon, at least buy three packs of Pokemon. And, and, and regularly, they are $3.99, you know, $3.99 a pack. If you buy three of them, I give it to you for three for ten. You're saving yourself $2 right there. Go ahead. Go in the back. Play. Don't worry about it. But that's also a diversified business that you have is where, you know, you don't want to make it just a comic book <coughs> specialty store where you realize possibly that, you know what, you kind of have to expand your horizons and you need to do magic. You need to do Yu-Gi-Oh! You need to do something because, you know, some people have that habit where it's hard to break, where it's like, I just want to do one thing. But in this environment, it's just you can't. People are interested. They'll buy it. If they're not interested, you know. I start having sales, 25% off. All right, there's a couple of things now that that, that sparked. One is this. Um, at the top of this episode, you mentioned the uh, the comic book resources article. It was an interview with Mark Wade. Yes. And there's something very important that I want to touch on in that. Um, so again, for those who don't know, Mark Wade is one of the premier <laughs> comic book writers. Uh, but for what's relevant to this is that um, he is also the co-owner of a comic book store in Indiana. And uh, in this interview, he, he made a really important point that all of us who read it latched on to this point. Mike, would you like to, uh, to explain what, what, that, what that point was? Yeah. Uh, Mark, who... Oh, has, you got a first-name basis with I'm the guy. On a fir- wow. I've spent enough money on his books over the years. He better believe I'm on a first-name basis. I've actually met the man at our very own Westchester Comic Book Show a couple of years ago. He was, he was great. He's a, he's a, he's a jewel. Um, he said in the article, he hasn't been doing this very long, but your... What you're going to sell on a Wednesday, presumably your busiest day of the week, should cover your diamond order. And he said that that was the best piece of advice he had been given. And it seemed so obvious that everyone except for him seemed to know it um, when his store was going through restructuring. It, it, it was his, uh, you know, his first line every week. And 
I don't know that that's something Steve has ever considered. So just to follow up on that, so he made that point, and he also said, because, um, yeah, that's definitely, we all <laughs> we all responded yeah. to that. I think it's a great point, and I want to get your take on it, Paul. But um, And the other thing he said was, uh, the for the other days of the week, you know, that's when you make the money to cover your other expenses, to, you know, to, you know, build up the war chest and, and all of that, pay your employees, all, all of that. Um, and he said you need to have other things, you know, to bring people in. Um, I think one of the examples he gave were, were the uh, those pop vinyl uh, pop figures, which I love. He doesn't. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> the face you made, uh, Paul, I think is probably how uh, Mark feels about it as well. Um, but he said, you know, like they sell a lot of those on the weekend. Well, basically what I do is I look at my invoice, look at my wholesale price, and I just hope and pray that I make that Wednesday, which I usually do. If I can't make it in one Wednesday, I'll make it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I'll break even in those three days. And I'm happy right there because I got my money back. It's a return. Now, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, for me, are kind of busy. And usually, it's the graphic novels that go. And also the gaming cards. So, you know, if, if I know you, you've been here a couple of times, more than a couple of times, and you want Pokemon, Magic, you want three packs, I'll give it to you for, you know, ten dollars three packs for ten dollars i'm losing two dollars on the retail side but that's okay because you're coming back to me and and that i appreciate more the way mark wade puts it if i can break even within two to three days i'm happy the rest is you know just extra cash coming in for the next bill if you don't mind me asking um and if you don't want to answer that's perfectly fine you know i know you have your other business ventures could you live off of what you make from Spider's Web? I could. I could. Okay. I mean, I could pay my bills. I'm fine with that. Well, I think that's encouraging to hear. Mm. You know, I think, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so the percentage of the business that you do for your pull list customers, what percentage of that is part of your Wednesday group? So basically, the inventory that you have, that you have, that you're pulling for the customers already versus the spec I call them the speculators the guys that come in and just randomly buy books what is the percentage of that I'm going to say 60 to 70 percent my pull list is is all the new stuff how many reservists do you have I have I think now 228 wow that's I, I think 228 more than I, thought. Now. I think that's yeah. probably on par with, yeah. if not maybe a little more than, than Steve. I think Steve has around 200. Right. He, I mean, there might be more, but I, you're right. right there. But, you know, I run into the same problems like Steve has. Um, people want to be on the list. They don't come in for a couple of weeks. Someone puts their name on the list. Uh, what is the process? Do you ask for a down payment? Do you say, hey, if you don't see in two, three weeks, I'm canceling? Do you have someone calling them back? What do you, what do, you do? Basically, they sign up. And I ask for them to have at least eight titles on their list, at least eight titles, and we'll hold them for them. It's a weekly basis, you know, come, come and go as you please. You get 10% off all your purchases. So it's, it's, they get 10% off when they buy. It's not a credit reserve system like we no. have here? Gotcha. No, no, no. I don't do the $100 thing. You get up to 100 and you get $10 back. I give you 10% right at the register that same day. And if you leave your books there at least four weeks, that's when you get one call. Five weeks, you get a second and third call. And that's when I suspend your subscription. And not to say Comic Suite again, but you press subscription, suspend, and their list is no longer on my feed. Do you call yes. them yourself? Or? I do call them myself. I ask them, are you still interested? Do you still want me to pull these books for you? 
Yes or no? Uh, when are you coming in for them? I said, okay, please come in for these, and I will no longer pull books for you until you purchase these. Do you, do you take it personally? Like, is this a, is this a, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you feel as if this is a personal slight? Like, I want to get Paul, so I'm specifically not doing this? Or do you just say, oh, dead, it's, dead, dead. it's business, things happen? It's business, things happen. Um, I had to call somebody tonight. He's been there for five weeks already. And it's, you know, every week it's maybe three or four titles. But it adds up. And he said, please hold these for me. Um, my wife doesn't know about this. We just had a baby. You know, oh. I, I have money issues. Okay, I'll give you a chance. I'm going to trust you. But, now, but don't play me for a fool. You know, and I don't take it personal. I know you're going to have money problems once you tell me you just have a newborn baby. Your wife doesn't want this in the house. She doesn't know what you're doing behind her back. If you don't have your wife's support when you have this type of hobby, then you shouldn't do it. Truer you words even, have never been spoken. <laughs> you shouldn't even hide it from her. That makes sense. You know, I, and, <laughs> just and a little bit. Again, when I spoke to Steve for this first episode, I, I brought this up because on our on our sheet it says you have three weeks to pick up your books. If you don't, we'll stop pulling. And I said, why don't you follow your own policy? And he was like, oh, well, that's the fine print. Nobody reads. That's like, well, okay. <laughs> and the result is you have a box full of, of stuff. Which is not to say that he won't ever pull the plug, Mike. You you were actually on. Am, you were your file was canceled. I am guilty of this. I, so am I. I started a new job. I was working around the clock, and coming to this place as much as I love comics was not on the top of the list when sleeping or seeing my fiance was an option. So, yeah, a couple months probably went by, and I didn't even have the eight required. I had maybe about half of that, but it adds up. And then you know, one day I did come in, and it was like. It was as if I had, uh, you know, burned down his house or something. <laughs> Were you given any, I mean, did he call you? No, I wasn't or... contacted, I wasn't reached out, and he could have done so very easily. It was just, uh, no, this, not only did this not happen, but I'm not talking to you anymore. It was the weirdest thing. I don't take it personal. You know, I understand life steps in, you have problems. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's one of my gripes. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you know, for as much as, you know, we might call into question all, all some of uh, some of Steve's business practices. I mean, a number of his gripes are are legitimate. I think maybe the way he handles them could be done more efficiently in many of the ways that you're describing. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable. You announce a policy, you follow your policy. Period. He announces a policy and doesn't follow it. So you know that leads to issues. Along similar lines, you know, as far as delinquent customers. So you have the customers who ask you to pull books and then don't come. Do you also run into situations where someone will ask you to order a statue for you for them and then they don't come in and, and pick it up? And if that happens, or I guess even before that, do you require a deposit? I don't require a deposit if, if you're doing a special order. For the simple fact is diamond distributors can allocate things or they can be pushed back, the date or whatnot. So I don't ask for a deposit. If it comes in, I call you. And I have been very fortunate up till now that if I ordered you a, a statue or whatever, a hot toy, a, a sideshow collectible, the expensive items, they have come in. I've been very fortunate. I think because I'm up front with them because the first thing that they ask is, do I need to leave a deposit? And, and I honestly say, no, you don't have to leave a deposit because I don't know if it's going to be allocated. Or the date, you know, might be pushed back or whatever, or they might cancel it all together. So, you know, when it comes in, I'll give you a call. I'm being very blessed, and it's it's been very positive for me. I haven't run into any problems. Now, I mean, I, I'm happy that that's the case. If that changes, mm -hmm. would, would you continue to adhere to that policy, or do you think you would start to require a deposit? Mm, if it happens 
once, shame on me, twice, that's when I'm going to start taking deposits. Well, I think the issue with Steve is he has the honor system too much, like he puts too much emphasis on it. If you remember in the podcast, he had mentioned when he went to Japan for a year, he actually came back and bought all a year's worth of books. Right. So he feels that, you know, because he's that loyal to the the store, that, you know, people should be the same way. Unfortunately, life doesn't work that way, but he still clings to that notion that, you know, if I'm that honest of a customer, so should everyone else. And then, unfortunately, he gets his heart broken and then gets angry. And, you know, and I mean, look, again, just to offer <clears throat> a balanced view, you know, I think a lot of his attitude, you know, it, it can backfire and lead to problems, as we've been discussing. But at the same time, I mean, there's a degree, again, that trust, that honesty with the customers. Clearly, he has cultivated, except for the customers who <laughs> screw him over, mm. uh, you know, a, a loyal customer base. Um, so and he has fostered this community here. So that's. You know, certainly something he's he's done well. I mean, I do respect him. You know, I do appreciate the fact that he's so trustworthy. But at the same time, look, it's a business first and foremost. You know, you got to look at it that way. But it's not. That's the problem. Like, it's easy for us to say it's a business because we see a store and mm -hmm. we see expenses and we see all the things you have to do. But he's never looked at it that way until things go wrong. Like, I've never heard him speak about this place as if it were a business. He always speaks of it as if it's his clubhouse, as if it's... I've seen him have conversations with random people who I've never met before for hours on end. And at no point in there is the, the expectation that you're going to buy something, you're going to do something for me. It's it's like, no, this this place is Steve. And the fact that it was making money for so long just happened to be a happy accident. <laughs> I mean, just to use myself as an example, that's why I came back. I mean, I, the the job in question switched. I had a lot more time in my hands, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go hang out with my friends. All my friends happen to be at the store. Uh, a couple days ago, it was Saturday, and I did what I needed to do, and I came by to say hello. And within an hour, Phil, you were here. An hour after that, Anthony, you were here. People came and went. It, it was great. I, I don't even think I actually bought anything. Not that I didn't want to. I just didn't get a chance to because by the time all my friends had left, the store was closed and the cash and the cash register was out. So Just to clarify, I'm not a heartless oil baron where I'm saying it's just business. There's nothing personal. <laughs> just want to clarify. Look, it is a clubhouse to me as well. I mean, I'm as heartbroken as anyone that the store is, you know, transitioning to whatever you want to call it. I don't want to even know. I want it to do better. No, nothing would make me happier than for there to be a, a, a bad cop to, to Steve's good cop. If Steve could sit behind there and, you know, glad hand the customers while someone else says, hey, you know, you got tons of statues in the back or tons of high items or ask me, hey, you're going to buy something. That would be fine. But I don't know. Steve seems to want to play both roles and he's never did that too well. Yeah. For the record, you know, what's behind some of this this criticism, or all of the criticism, really, is that we all do care so much about the store and, and want it to be successful and don't want to see a, a, a Facebook post saying, I have to close because my customers screwed me over. Again, we, well, the three, Paul, you're, you're, you now you do run your own store. The three <laughs> of us, you know, we have not. So, again, we haven't walked in the man's shoes. Right. Um, but I think we all look at things. And again, I mean, I've worked at the store, so I have been on the inside of it. And you see things that could be done differently. And I guess it's just frustrating when, you know, certain certain actions aren't taken. There's this one story. I mean, no, once again, I'm not beating up on Steve. There's this one incident where I was so speechless. Like, I, all I could do was just listen. We actually had a customer come in. And now Steve has ordered in the past sometimes minibus in too excess quantity. So we have these X3, X-Men, Halle Berry, Storm minibus. A woman came in and actually said, I see that in the back. I would like to buy it. And I'm like, oh, my God. After 10, I don't even know how long was X3 came out, a couple, you know, seven, eight years, someone wants to buy it. And Steve just looked at her and said, you know what? They have better ones on eBay. 
And I kid you not, like I literally just like I just was like I, I couldn't understand what's going on. And this woman said, "No, like I really like it. I mean, I looked at it. I want to put it in my cubicle because I think it's really cool." And he just started using some Jedi mind trick where I myself just completely blacked it out because I was so shocked. And somehow he convinced this woman not to buy it. So I looked at Steve. I'm like, Steve, you could have sold this. I mean, you have an inventory. Remember, you have inventory issues, space. You could have sold it. He goes, I know, but why didn't you do it? He's like, because I didn't feel like she should buy it. I mean, that's the thing with the clubhouse where he felt this person should not buy this because, you know, this is his clubhouse and he can decide what he wants. And I was so shocked. I mean, how could you do that? I mean, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm speechless right now. I'm sorry. I can attack. I mean, I've seen him talk customers out of buying things far more than I've ever seen him do the opposite. S- same here. I, I've seen it. I've watched it. Also, oh, I was just first time experience for me. Then sorry. No, no, no. It's. I mean, your your response is understandable. It, it's just it. You know, it doesn't seem to to fit. I mean, one thing that really has Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Paul's beside himself. He just can't uh, fathom this. No, because I, I remember something happening in my store, and and a person wanted to. The- purchase a statue and i'm saying to myself are you worthy of this statue oh. I, well will you take care of it will you give it a beautiful home that's what i think sometimes have you ever not made a sale for that reason no i saw <laughs> i did sell it. There you go. but these are just some things that go through my mind and, and i'm hearing um phil yes sir i'm, I'm hearing phil with this story <laughs> i'm like wow and i think that's that's the difference the fact that you might have that consideration but you still make the sale. I, I have to make the sale. I have to pay my rent. I have to pay my invoices. I have to do what I have to do. And I think, you know, we should address something. And Because, you know, for, for as much as we talk about, you know, the business practices, I mean, the, the reality is that Steve has not relied on this store f- to, to live. Um, he, has, he has lived in his, in his family home. Um, for much of the time that he's owned the store, you know, you know, he he might have approached things differently had that not been the case. Maybe I'm in the same situation as Steve. Um, I can't want for a house. I can't want for any of my cars. Everything is, you know, not to sound pompous or whatever, but everything's paid for already, and I don't have that problem either. But my business has to succeed. I'm putting my all my personal money into this business. I mean, there's a sense of principle and morals that you have, but, you know, to the point where, you know, you just have this principle of not selling something to a customer because, you know, you don't like the way that they're going to showcase this. It's it's just, you know, like, uh, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, how do you... But it's also telling. I mean, what other industry, especially of a retail variety, gets that dedicated in its product? I mean, th- this industry is so strange. I mean, Paul's talking about this statue as if it, you know, as if it was his own, as if he crafted it. And I know what he's talking about because I've seen people come in here and buy something, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, well, you're you're not going to appreciate the way I would, even though I already own two copies. So it's like, you know, that's something you only see in comics. And right. I mean, you'd rather let it collect dust for seven years. <laughs> Rather than to sell it to someone, it's it's for me. It's a very hard pill to swallow, but maybe that's just me. Well, to follow up on that, um, you know, so we spoke of of the overstock at Alternate Realities. In addition to what's actually in this physical space, Steve also has a storage space at a warehouse where he houses yet more overstock. Paul, you have you have a very small uh, back room area in your store, correct? That is correct. I do not have a storage room, a storage facility, whatever, however you want to call it. So I everything, have a closet. so everything you have store related it's in that in that store it's in that store 
I'm assuming it's a conscious choice to not accumulate overstock such that you would need an, a, a warehouse, right? That's the thing. I do not want to overstock. One thing that I learned from Steve about back issues, and he told me this himself, if you over over buy copies, you buy 12 copies, and six of them are, are, are sold, only keep two for yourself for your back issue bins. And I've, I've set myself to do that. Then I put the others in, in the dollar bin or whatever. And if, like I said, if they don't sell, I'll donate them. You know, wait, that's kid, not the advice that Steve gave you, though. Yeah. No, not that part. Not that part. <laughs> not that part. Um, you know, the kids' books, Scooby Doo, uh, SpongeBob, and all that. If they're not selling and I have a lot of back issues, I'll put them under my counter. And if I see a kid coming with their parents, I'll give them a comic. Hey, here's one for you. Here's one for your sister. That's what I do. Am I losing money? Yes. But honestly, I get kind of a satisfaction where I see the kids smile. They'll say thank you. And maybe they'll get into comics themselves. You know, that's... So you're getting them when they're young, right? I mean, in that way, you're making, yeah. you're making an true. investment. But you also understand the importance of shelf space. I mean, if you need to put something in a dollar bin or just give it away, you know it's more important to have that shelf space open. That is correct. Yeah, I mean, at a certain yes. point, these things are sunk costs. And again, you're just spending more money to store them. No, so, you're absolutely right. And again, giving something away, you're, you're clearing space. You're, again, expanding your customer base, either acquiring a new customer right. or taking an existing customer and getting them interested in something else. Correct. I mean, there's such value. In again, taking those six extra copies that you didn't sell and giving them out to somebody. Maybe, exactly. Maybe they maybe they'll read it. Maybe they won't. They'll like it. They won't. Whatever. Right, but right. if out of those six, even one is like, oh hey, this is pretty cool. I want to add it to my list. There you go, Mike. I want to toss this to you. So again, you're an accountant. Um, w- w- hypothetical. Steve comes to you and he's like, I don't want to close after all. I don't want to sell. I want to keep this going, but I want to change things up a little bit. I want your expertise. I want you to do an analysis, an audit of, of my business, make some recommendations. Now, I know you haven't actually seen his books, but what sorts of things would you would you need to see and what sorts of, just off the top of your head, you know, recommendations? I, I mean, again, I know, uh, you know, we've been talking about a lot of them, but if there's anything more specifically or different than, than what we've said. Uh, sure. I mean, I understand Steve's hesitancy for making a, a huge capital investment. I mean, this is not a place where you're going to have a lot of cash on hand uh, if you don't already. So I get that. Um, my biggest thing is using the assets that he currently has. We constantly talk about uh, shelf space. We constantly talk about uh, things that might be out of sight of the person coming in here and shopping. Uh, Steve's got tons of regular traffic, uh, and that includes people who come in off the street, and that includes his regular customers. When they come in here, and I'm including myself here, we look at the same things. They're they're white noise to us. So I'm looking at places where I might want to buy something, and I'm seeing the same things I saw last week. I know they're there. My brain's not really processing. Comics are the same way. I vaguely know where they are, but nothing's being turned over. To use a place like Midtown as an example, where I go sometimes just because it's close to where I work, the books change out every couple of days. and Maybe that's not an expectation you can have in a smaller store, but for the person who comes in and they're not what we would call a regular, maybe we can point them at something. And it's difficult to do that if things don't move around, if there's not a real flow. And the biggest example I would use is, you know, there have been a lot of cross-promotion in different media. I mean, we've probably all seen Avengers and Daredevil and, you know, there's constant other shows. None of that stuff is out here. So I get someone coming in on free comic book day and, and this happened. They said, I watched all of Daredevil and I love it and it's a character I never cared of. I made three or four recommendations. Not only did we not have it on hand, but like it wasn't even... 
it wasn't even aware. Like we have spaces in the front of the store where you should just be able to see that stuff. And it wasn't there. And I feel like we missed an opportunity. We could have made a good amount of money that day. I'm sorry, just to chime in on that, for example, like for the new Civil War movie that's coming out, Black Panther's going to be in it. And, you know, for me, I think that Infinity Story, going back to it, it showed an amazing Black Panther as well as, you know, Wakanda. So this guy came in, he's like, oh, I'm interested in Black Panther. I'm like, well, you got to read Infinity. I mean, you just want to see Black Panther kick some butt. you got to pick up this book. And he goes, oh, sold. I'm like, all right, let me see. And, of course, heartbroken as it always would be, I tried to look for it. We don't have the hardcover. We don't have the soft cover, And it's just like... You know, you the cross-promotion. Look, movies are coming in. You need to understand the importance of these movies and what's going to do. The Civil War graphic novel, things like that. Speaking of the movies, um, and I wanted this actually ties in with another question that I had for you, Paul, about advertising. So, you know, you go to the movie theater and they have these commercials playing. Not even commercials, but just the, the still ads that, that will run before the commercials even start. And I'm always thinking, like, boy, it'd be great to see a, a you know, an ad for alternate realities before any one of these comic book movies. Is that anything you've thought about? Have you looked into it? I mean, I, I don't know if it might be cost prohibitive. So I that, so that's my, I guess, the first part of it for you. Well, talking about advertisements, I did advertisement in the cross-county movies and also in Ridge Hill movie theaters. Um, it does get kind of expensive, but DC gives you an allowance, an advertisement allowance through um, Diamond Distributors where they'll pay a percentage of your advertisement. And you can see that on your invoice. It's right there. It's allotted. You know, for example, I have up to maybe $900 right now, and I could use that anytime I want. And they will return that $900 to you for advertisement. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, how much does an ad like that run? A still like that cost me, I think it was $1,200 for the whole month in each movie theater in Cross County. And it's a write-off. It's a tax write-off. You know, it's an expense. And, you know, when I put that in Cross County, a lot of business came in. <laughs> a lot of my customers saw that, and they would cheer me on. It, it goes back to, you know, losses and gains. You know, is it worth it? Yeah, sometimes it's worth it. Um, I, I advertised in the newspapers. I've advertised in the Penny Saver and stuff like that. Those did not work for me. You know, I've learned that in this business, it's more word of mouth. And that was the point of free comic book day in the first place right i mean you guys opened up on free comic book day which was, which was great i mean that's how i found out about the place but i remember thinking back to the first free comic book day i think in like 2002 and the point was hey spider-man's here we're finally in the movies this is happening the way we want it now go to your stores tomorrow get a free comic and while you're there see what's around pick up the comics that you like based on the movies that's absolutely right and you know i i gave away a whole bunch of comics this year i think i i tripled what I what I got last year because there were so many people this year and, and I was grateful for that. That's so interesting. So you're talking about the 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 free comics, the ones you gave away. You yes. actually increased the number that you ordered. I did, yes. As opposed to here where I think the number went down, if anything. No, I increased because I also get them for my pull list subscribers too. I'm grateful. I was really established. Everybody came in. Within three to four hours, all those books were gone. You know, it was so organized. We had candy. We, we had, you know, balloons. We had all this stuff for the customers. You didn't have a sign saying, don't be a pig? No, I did not. Oh. No. I, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful that everything went out without, without a hitch. Uh, what about a return policy? Okay, this is one of my pet peeves. Return policy. If you buy a comic and you bring it back the next day saying, I did not like this... I'm not going to refund your money or return it. 
you already read it. Same thing with graphic novels. You know, I, I, I had one teenager, this is an example, one teenager, he bought a graphic novel. He read it and everything, and, and I had remembered him. He came back two days later, and now, you know, it was creased on the cover and stuff like that. And he said, I don't like this. Can I trade it in? And he was with his grandmother. And I looked at it. I said, well, you already read this. This is used. And the grandmother says, oh, just change it anyway. Don't worry about it. Um, no, I'm sorry. I can't do this. On my front counter, it says no refunds, no exchanges. You know, that's a game that people like to take a chance with, and I don't like that game. If someone comes in and they're like, oh, I bought this yesterday, but I, I have it. I didn't realize that I already had it, and it doesn't look like it's been read. Will you, will you swap it out, give them their money back? I take it on a case-by-case basis. If you're a good customer and you're always coming back to me and stuff like that, I'll take your word for it. Is it common practice? For me, just being the medium that it is, comic books, I mean, refund is just such a tricky thing. It's, it's, you know, if it's shrink-wrapped, I can understand possibly if you return it and it's still shrink-wrapped. But being a comic book, I mean, you can read it and give it back and just say, oh, I want my money back. It's just that type of medium where it's just... Yeah, it doesn't seem to lend itself to, yeah. know, to, yeah, to but returns. It's, it's like buying a book at Barnes & Nobles. Exactly. I mean, over there, you can get your money fast. But this is now a collectible. Once it leaves my store, it's in your hands. But yeah, no refund, no exchange. No, that's that's ridiculous. It really is. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. What about what about haggling? Do customers try to try to get a better deal out of you? And how do you respond when they when they do? Because that ha- I mean, you know, I talked about this on another episode, but this was always a you know a pet peeve of mine. And it's one of those things where I, you know I said this in another episode. It's like you don't go into Best Buy and bring up a DVD and and be like, it says twenty, but I'll give you fifteen for it. On the other hand, you know, just the nature of, of this, you know, small business, it sort of lends itself to that. So I get why it happens. But uh, so, yeah, how does that uh, come into play at Spider's Web? I'll tell you honestly, my prices are negotiable. Statues, you know, action figures, trades and all that. Except for the new comics that are on the wall. No. Um, when people come in and try to haggle, they try to haggle like comic book men or porn stars. You know those TV shows? And I told them, no, this is not like this. It's not. People come in uh, to sell their comics to me. They'll have, like, for example, Amazing Spider-Man 300. I want $1,000 for this. (laughs) And that's what I do. I laugh. Is it slabbed? I mean, is CD? No, not even slabbed. Oh, great. No, No bag and board or anything in a plastic bag. Is it signed by Todd McFarlane? Not even signed. Okay. Creases. The spine is all messed up. Oh, well, I saw this on Comic Book Men, and and they were selling it for like $5,000, but I just want $1,000. No, this is not Comic Book Men. I'm sorry. See, the general population doesn't know that the Comic Book Men, and and, and I'm not bashing them or anything, or porn stars, but they're scripted. Speaking of buying collections, uh, you know, again, I think, using alternate realities as an example, Steve does buy collections from time to time. And uh, usually, he, you know, he's looking for stuff from, you know, the Silver Age or, or older. You know, the earlier, I mean, the later books he, he will rarely purchase. But when he does purchase a collection, it, it often doesn't go out for sale right away. And in fact, often a lot of time passes. So what sort of turnaround time are you looking at when you pick up, whether it's a single issue or a collection or whatever it is? How fast do you get that out? If I buy somebody's collection, I bag and board it, put it in a top loader, and it's on the wall within 10 minutes. The only reason why it will not make it to my wall, if it's if I'm missing something from my own personal collection. <laughs> <laughs>
Phil, I want to ask you a question similar to what I asked Mike. Mm-hmm. You know, if Steve turned to you and said, you know, Phil, I need, you know, what, what, what can I do? What can I do uh, in the store? What sort of advice would you have for Steve? I mean, he's got to be able to accept using eBay. I mean, I'm not sure why he hasn't been able to do it. Maybe he said he just time constraint, etc. But it's just that the inventory he has. I mean, I have anxiety just given the fact that he's got this niche taste and how do you get rid of it? I mean, I just need to literally sit down and think it through and, you know, some sort of deep discount. I mean, you got to move space. I mean, you have action figures that have unfortunately been sitting for years and years and years and space is important. Speaking of sales, um, you know, you've, you've mentioned having sales, but, you know, I mean, more specifically, how often do you do sales and, and how, how much of a, how deep of a discount will you offer? I try to do it at least once a month um, on a weekend, 25% off everything in the store except for the comics that are on the wall. Does it hurt when you have a sale? Because I feel like that's Steve's approach to it. I, he's, he doesn't like to have sales and rare, rarely, not, I mean, I can't say rare. How, how often would you say, Mike, how often would you say Mike, uh, Steve has, will do a sale? I, I think he, he has sales, but they're always under duress. It's always as if he's <laughs> he's doing you a favor, even if you get people in with a sale and you end up selling them a great deal of material. It, it, it never seems like it's something to be happy about. I think the problem is that he has so much sunk cost in inventory where he should do a deep discount just to get rid of them because the sunk cost has been realized years in advance. I mean, that's the problem. I have to wonder what Steve in 1992 or something like how how different that guy would be from from Paul sitting here. Like, did he have the same idea of just getting it out the door and whatever and just the passage of time and the industry in general has kind of worn him down? It's funny you say that. So um, Kevin Halstead, who's one of the Alternate Realities co-founders, uh, he reached out to me over Facebook about this podcast. And uh, but he actually posed that very question. He's like, you know, I wonder what 1992 Steve would say about the store as it is now, because when they opened it, you know, the idea very much so was to have some a place that's organized and neat and, and easy to find everything. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's certainly a factor. I mean, I think, Paul, your I think your approach in general, you know, is is different. Um, but, yeah, the fact that you're two years in versus Steve, who's 23 years in, you know, I'm sure, you know, that comes into play as well. My only criticism is you don't bag your trade paperbacks. Um, honestly, in the beginning, and I learned this from Steve, I did do this. Because people would come in with butterfingers, peanut butter all over their fingers or whatever, touch them, do this, do that. After a year, everybody learned. So what I did was, and this was last month, I took off all the um, the, the bags. Wow. And, and I did all that. But in the beginning, I learned it from Steve. I bagged everything. That's one thing I am with Steve on that. I do like the, the trades bag. But it's funny. I found, I don't, I can't think of any other stores that I've been to where they bag the trades. What have you guys found? The ones I've been to in upstate Connecticut, pretty much just, you know, you can flip through it. It's easier. This, you know, it's a little bit of restriction yeah. when it's bagged and bored because then the tape comes off and you're like, oh, God, the tape is half off and then you got to fix that. Yeah. And that too. If the bag is on it already and what I've learned, they're going to take it off, they're going to open it and, and, you know, flip through it. The customer wants to flip through it and check it out. You know, I've really been having a debate with my personal collection at home where it's like, I, I bag them. Oh, wow. I bag my own trades. And, and recently I was like, this is stupid. Why am Stop. I doing this? Oh, you do it Stop. too? Oh, you do it? Oh, no, really? Right. All right. So wait, Paul and I bag. Neither Phil no. and Mike, you don't? No. I don't even bag single issues anymore. No. I don't care. I, neither I, do I. If it's not signed or if it's not old or, or uh, rare, like I, I bought a couple of variants because I was really into the multiversity, it doesn't even get it doesn't even get boarded anymore or Do bagged. You, in retrospect, 
are you happier that you just opened your own store versus taking over an existing one? Or if you could do it again, do you think you would have preferred taking over something that was already set up? Honestly, I'm I'm glad I started from scratch. I I agree. I, because I, yeah. I put my own ideas into it. I put my passion, my heart, my soul into this place. You know, I, I put everything that I had into this, my whole energy. I think sometimes when you get the idea carried over, you then to stick with that old idea rather than bring your own two cents into it. So it's actually, I think it's a great idea. It's a heck right. of a risk. But you it know is. what? I think it worked out really well for you. So Thank you. And honestly, if it costs you a hundred grand to set it up, you know Steve's asking price for the store has always been about two fifty. So you know, you know it worked out. I remember that. Yeah, um, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but like I said, I'm I'm happy where I'm at. Um, and I've told myself if there's a day where I come in, you know, angry, depressed, um, anxious, and I don't like this anymore, that's the day I close down. One of the last times I wanted a comic specifically uh, for Steve to order it for me. It was a small press book. It was non-Marvel, non-DC. And I said, I, I would like one copy. That, that's you know all I, I can need. And uh, at the end of the visit, he says something like, oh, okay, I'm going to order a bunch. And I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like, well, you, you like it. And you, know, you pay attention to this stuff more than I do. So clearly I should have some on hand. This is going to be very popular. And I'm thinking to myself, no, no, this is something I get blamed for. And as far as I could tell, every issue except for the one I bought is still still about three feet from me on the racks. That's unfortunate because, you know, going back to what we were saying before, you know, I think a frustration we share is that, you know, Steve doesn't, I mean, honestly, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of the industry. You know, that's what I was getting at before with the old man Logan thing. It's like, I get, you know, you don't want to overorder. And certainly, as we've said, I mean, overstock is a huge problem. So the fact that he was more conservative about it, that I'm okay with. It's just that he didn't take into account at all, again, the creative team and the storyline. So... I feel bad because that's right, Mike, that's one instance of him actually trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't the only time. I mean, pretty much every time I've asked him about something, I guess because it's rare because I'm not the guy who gives him a list every single month, it's it's like, oh, this is something that I should order a lot of. And I immediately become not only concerned but worried, like, well, what are you doing for your other books? Like, are you reading the news about comics? Are you following trends? Do you know what shows are coming out? Because you talk to him personally it's not like he's following this stuff so i have to wonder what is he basing his orders on you know if it's sold out i'm happy that it, the whole series sold out all the numbers sold out i'm happy you don't have the regret oh I, if i could have ordered more yeah that's yeah. actually you know what that that brings up a question so i mean i feel like in my head the the ideal is to have one copy left over because that that means you know you you sold really as many as you possibly could and you have one left right so is that the goal or it's just they're gone you're happy they're gone. I'm happy. All right. Well, on that note, uh, gentlemen, I really thank you all very much for participating in this episode of My Comic Shop History. Thank you. I had a blast. I think I think maybe I just want to run a comic book shop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you? I mean, after this entire conversation, would you would you buy this place? Would you open a new one? I mean, what are you what are you doing? Think uh, about it. Honestly, you know, when I started working here as a high schooler, I mean, you know, I think the dream was to one day buy the store uh, after working here for a little while and, and seeing what goes on behind the scenes and, and talking to Steve, you know, that enthusiasm kind of went away. Now with the store, as Phil said, transitioning, whether it, it closes or it's sold, um, you know, it kind of comes up again of like, would I even try to, to, to do something to keep the store going, you know, myself? Um, I think if I had the enthusiasm and the passion for comics that Paul has, that I used to have, I think I would at least seriously consider it. Um, but I really 
don't. And I think that's what would, would kind of keep me from it. I mean, certainly the community aspect would be great. I'd love to keep it going in that sense. But, you know, I, I just I don't think I have the passion for comics anymore. But from the business point of view, it kind of is something I would want to sink my teeth into because just talking with you guys here, you know, again, I, I feel like a store, I mean, Paul, your, Paul, your store is an example of this. I mean, a comic book store can be run well, run successfully. You know, I mean, I can't say there's no interest, but would I actually pursue it? I don't think so. You know, Paul's store is a success story. Um, if I looked at him as a model, I would think differently. But looking at this store, I look at it as, you know what, this is a supplemental business. I do it just as a hobby, as a clubhouse then it's fine. But, you know, I think listening to his story, you kind of get a little bit more of a confidence boost and saying, you know what? Yeah. There is possibility. Well, I always said, Phil, I was like, if you ever want to take some of that oil money and you and I go into it together, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we get a manager to hire, the, you know, to run the day-to-day stuff. And I always thought about it. Same here. I mean, I don't know if Mike, yourself. My fear is uh, comics are my number one escape. I I love them. I'm, I'm obsessed with them. And I don't know if I had to look at them from a business point of view i am afraid i'd come to resent them mm-hmm. and that that's always a concern of mine i i see i see the way paul's been it's like oh maybe i have it completely wrong i just i don't know that's something about myself that i worry about like i'm gonna wake up one day and be like oh god i i, I can't stand these things imagine if you put yourself on a pull list and I- you get 50 <laughs> to 65 percent off all the time <laughs> and you can order anything you want without any problem I think we've both been using the wrong model, which is Steve, because we look at how, you know, disillusioned he's become that, you know, we don't want to become that. But then we look at this. I know. I'm looking at Paul and this ray of sunshine. I mean, come on. I think it's, you know, it's probably different for everybody. I think, you know, our mutual friend Rich Roney has said this before. And it's, you know, it's difficult to take something that that's your hobby and make it your job. Yeah. You know, you've done it, and I'm sure other, and plenty of other comic shop owners, you know, are, still have that passion for comics. But I think, you know, it can be different, and it's probably, you know, different for everyone. At, at this point in the game, it's not a job for me. Like I said, if I come in one day and I don't want to do this anymore, angry or whatever, that's the day I close. Well, if that happens, just give me a call. I'll come in. Uh, I sure will. <laughs> I sure will. <laughs> if you can provide health benefits, I'd do it now. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, gentlemen? No, it's just been a pleasure. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, Anthony, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks again. I just want to say thank you for inviting me, and I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, I'm glad. Well, I had a blast, and uh, hopefully hopefully, listeners will find this uh, interesting and insightful. So uh, thank you once again to all of you. Thank you to the listeners who tuned into this episode. Be sure to keep tuning in. we got some great stuff coming up. And until then, don't be a flat squirrel. <laughs>